You're listening to the Above the Mug Show, a podcast that highlights people whose passions drive their life. My name is Lucas Spinoza, and I own a coffee shop. Every day I meet dozens of interesting people, and today I sit down with one of them to inspire you to live your life passion forward. What is going on, everybody? It's your friend Lucas Spinoza coming at you from my office inside of the Black Sheep Lounge right here in the heart of Welland, Ontario. You are listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights positive people, and we're here to show you how you can use your passions to live your life passion forward. Today, joined by an incredibly special guest, we have Mark Lalama. He's a music maker, musician, singer, songwriter, writer, producer. This guy does it all. And for a period of time, he was also a pianist and arranger at Canadian Idol. How are you doing? I'm great, Lucas. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for being here, brother. Um, this worked out really well because uh, by the time this comes out, it will be Sunday. It's Thursday today. So what was it, three days ago or so? It was yeah. Monday when I was at your place. Yeah, that's right. So you had sent me a message. That's and you're right. like, Lucas, I got an artist coming down from Toronto. I need coffee and your clothes. Where do I get this coffee? So I was like, I think I can make it out there. So I drove out to your, you got like a, a hobby farm, beautiful, uh, beautiful space. Gave me some eggs, which were delicious. I, I had those uh, this oh, morning. Oh, good, yeah. Um, which was great. So that alludes to part of it, which is you have a beautiful studio. Um, mm-hmm. What got you into wanting to be on the recording side of music? Wow, good question. Let me let me uh, let me go back there. Well, I always was interested in recording, all you know, performing music. You know, from a young age, my dad was a musician. He had a weekend wedding band, and I think I was about twelve years old when I started singing in his band. And I'd sing like two or three songs. Basically, I think he had me there, so I would set up the equipment, set up the PA, and And then I just watched, you know, every single Friday and Saturday night from when I was 12 years old, I'd be with my dad at some gig somewhere, usually uh, like German Village or, uh, you know, uh, the Polish Hall in Welland, all these different clubs and like uh, mostly weddings he did, you know. So um, and then that just evolved into performing and then, you know, wanting to emulate your heroes, you know, you hear, I just remember wanting to be Stevie Wonder, you know, and uh, record records and stuff like that. That's you know? awesome. Yeah, no, I, I've always found the recording side of music to be very fascinating. We kind of talked about it Monday when I was over there, but there's something about trying to make art not sound like work when you're recording is, yeah. is difficult because when you write a song, it's obviously as emotional as it gets, right? You're trying yeah. to put what you're feeling on paper uh, these days in your iPad, whatever you're putting yeah. it into. Uh, then when you're performing it, like you said earlier, you can put, you can get in that headspace and try to feel what you were feeling while, while you're performing. This way people can feel that also. Recording is so different because you need to make it sound like you without it sounding forced. Yeah. Right. And there's something uh, there's something magical about when you can really you've got that right take. You know, you did the right take. Yeah. That's the one you're going to keep. Obviously, there's editing and stuff when it comes to recording. But uh, the the least amount of that possible is, is the goal. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, anything that's true in the recording process or true in the performance uh, side of things, I find is true also outside of music and in life. You know, sometimes, you know, you come to the cafe, you bump into somebody and you have a brief conversation and you walk away saying, man, I wish I could do that over again. I didn't mean to say that or that, yes, you know, yeah. well in the, so every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, um, what you're going for, no matter what, if it's live or studio is a reality, a believability. Right. Mm-hmm. So it takes a while I find for musicians to realize that when you're playing your instrument, you kind of don't want people to think about 
your technique or that you're playing an instrument. You want to create, ideally, ideally, you want to create an experience that maybe is, uh, you know, basically I'm talking about creating art. So you want to create an experience that's beyond music. It's all about emotion. It's all about receiving this feeling, whatever. Music is just kind of a means to get to that place, right? I love that. So it's, 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 uh, it translates. That's why it translates. You could play the same piece, the same performance for 10 different people. You're going to create 10 different responses, you know, yeah. depending on how tuned in they are, depending what kind of day they had that day, who, you know, what family member they fought with or whatever. But, you know, you as a musician, I don't want them to think, Oh, I wonder uh, how long it took him to write that song. Oh, that's a cool, that's a clever uh, rhyme or something. I don't want them to think in those terms. Yeah. You know, it's like watching a movie. I don't want you know. I, I don't think lighting wanna, and production. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to look at all that. You just want to take it in, right? Oh, I love it. I think it's it's great because even with this podcast, sometimes people, um, there's a bunch of interesting people that I get to meet and talk to every day because of the cafe. You know, a couple yeah. hundred people every day come through the door and, yeah. you know, I, a lot of them are impressive and they're interesting and I want to get to know them. Uh, but the second you stick them in front of a mic, like what we're doing here, sometimes they start to think about what they want to say instead yeah. of just saying it. Yeah. Uh, and obviously it's smart to not blabber everything without a filter. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm looking to talk about you. I want to know you. Right. right? And yep. if you start thinking, what does he want to hear? Or, yeah. you know, what does the yeah. audience want to know about? Then you start to give someone you, but not the right version of you, right? And yeah. I think it might be yeah. similar when when it comes to music, right? You totally. don't want to overthink it. Just, this is something, this is you, show them you, right? Yeah, you, and you, you, you got to turn off the editors, you know, turn off the editors as far as uh, when you're playing, you know, there comes a time, say, when you're, like, I do a lot of improvised music, you know, so I, I write structure but when i play with my band there's no rules yeah absolutely. and so we we don't stick to the script ever you know and that's the exciting part is like the guys are are super accomplished musicians and they listen they got ears like elephants so they listen <laughs> yeah. and and they you know they don't miss anything so if i go somewhere they're right with me you know and same if they go somewhere so the whole point is to live in the moment Right. And and not to edit yourself and not to sound like what you did last week. You know, that was a great show. Let's try to do that again. Never. That yeah. never works. Right. I, I think that's a great point and actually a great lesson for non-musicians. So maybe to give people a little context, if you're not a musician, when we talk about we're going to use some music terminology, I'm sure, in okay. this, in this yeah. podcast, but at, throughout the duration of this, we will, I'm sure. But when you talk about you know, playing in the pocket or, you know, see where it takes us, like what you were saying, that that's basically just like going by feel and being tight. When I say tight, it's like everyone's lining up, They're each, yeah. you know, everyone's lining up. So there's there's something magical about when you don't prepare something, but musicians have almost like uh, some sort of mental ability to know what the other musician's going to do. Right. And where where it's going to take you. So I think when when Mark's saying it's going to, you know, where this song's going to go, you think, well, what do you mean? Where's it going to go? It's a song. You play the song, you rehearsed it. That's right. what you're going to play. Well, you know, you might take the chorus a little bit longer or, yeah. you know, scrap the bridge or you might go really quiet and do a bass solo, you know, that kind of stuff. But the band knows where you're going to go. And there's something magical uh, for musicians and for anyone in the audience watching that. I think that's something in real life that we forget about. It's not always about 
being perfect and exactly the same. It's seeing where it's going to take you, right? right. And yeah. and when you work with someone for so long, you you kind of know there's a bit of a harmony there, right? Yeah. Well, there's there's just like a you have to cultivate a relationship. Sometimes it's instantaneous. You've never worked with this musician, yeah. but but you probably shared some some sort of uh, path to, to get where you are, and that's why you're together. You know, as far musically, you know, so you, music is a language, so. Some people speak it really well, you know, and uh, to anticipate the energy you create that you're cooking up this song, right? And you're creating this energy and all of a sudden it feels like, a, you know, a, a new song. That's the that's what you want. It. Every time you go and play that song, you kind of want it to feel like it's the first time you played it. Mm -hmm. So whatever inspiration you have, you know, harmonically, for example, you know, like so maybe there's only three chords in that song, but for some reason... In the moment there, you feel like it's going to this other section. So you kind of create a new section. And often, if, I, if I'm hearing that, there's no way that a musician telepathically knows that you're going to change keys. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just yell out a key, you know? Yeah. So if we're in the key C. of... C! Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'll just yell it out. E flat! You know, and then we'll go up and we'll, we'll jam. And, I'll, and if, I want, if I hear it going somewhere, I'll just yell out changes. Right? I love that. Yeah. So... I, I always love asking questions similar to this when I talk to musicians. We kind of talked about it a little bit out in the cafe about, you know, uh, some of my, the people that I like listening to. Mm -hmm. and, and that got me into the, the piano and vocalist world like Billy Joel and people like that. But what was kind of your your juice when you were a, a young musician? You're thinking, OK, this this is the person that like I want to have that. Yeah. Sound. I want not maybe that sound, but I want to be able to emulate that presence. Um, yeah. Was there someone like that for you that you just listened to over and over and over again? Well, yeah. I mean, when when I was a kid, my, like uh, you know, I have three brothers, and we used to we used to call in to see how radio and uh, request our favorite songs. I remember we used to like Elton John was a big one. The Yellow Brick Road record yeah. was big, and then uh, you know I got into Billy Joel big time, and and. Uh, so I would have been like grade nine or ten, and I was really into Billy Joel, and so, and he played the piano, so it was perfect. So I I went and learned, like that whole Stranger record, the That's big cool. record, and there was and there was a tune on there that was like really challenging. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the tune uh, I, scenes from an Italian restaurant has this big piano break in the middle. That's fast, you know, and it's like. So I learned it, you know, and, and that was kind of like, whoa, impressed. My friends were impressed, oh, you yeah. know, so I got, you know, I got, I felt, you know, like. It gets uh, excited, boosts your yeah, ego a little bit. Yeah, and so I, you know, you look for other challenges. And then I remember getting into two guys, uh, Nat King Cole. Well, I mean, I was always, I was always uh, into Oscar Peterson, like as a teenager. I couldn't come close to playing like him, still can't, but um, I just thought he was unbelievable, out of this world. And But I also got into... Nat King Cole. And then I found out later, because I actually got to study a little bit with Oscar Peterson, that one of his first, first influences was, was Nat King Cole. And so I, I actually lifted like a whole record of Nat King Cole stuff. And I loved the way he phrased it. So I would write out the song, and then I would write where his vocal would land in the bar. You know? That's cool. Why? And then from him, I went on to Bill Withers. And I just, uh, there was a vocal thing about those two guys that really captivated me. So I did the same thing with Bill Withers. I would like 
lift his stuff just to I was I knew I was going to school while I was doing this I just it's how come it sounds so magical and so effortless and so relaxed and so funky and so soulful you know so I really studied those guys and of course Ray Charles you know was another big influence so Van Morrison Van Morrison yeah yeah, yeah. One, one of my favorite I don't know why there's something about Van Morrison just a little screechy but mm. love him well he's got such a unique vocal delivery mm. you know and and I think What's cool about him, and same with Bill Withers, is they're, they're um, vocalists, orators, you know, like they speak the words, but, and I learned, and also I noticed from uh, Stevie Wonder, is they use their instru- their voice as instruments. So, you know, like, mm, they'll, uh, they'll start a line with a hum, yeah. you know, like, mm, isn't she lovely? Yeah, that's mm, right. They'll, mm, and stuff like that. And, and you'll, you'll hear that in between phrases, so they're like, they're hearing they're hearing the whole orchestration in their head and they're they're just jamming to it. So it's it's really different than say uh, you know the classical world where everything's got to be or you know used to be like the er, or early popular music where it was like technique was clean 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 and and this was just so much to me so much more involved cooler groovier greasier you know. Mm. How did you end up with the Canadian Idol gig? So uh, let's see. Okay, so I was, uh, you know, I went to school. I left Welland when I was uh, right out of high school, and I started studying music at York University. And York at the time was, I think, the only university in Ontario that had a jazz program. And uh, so what happened there? Like, I mean, I'm, so I'm studying, and uh, you meet people, of course. And I think I graduated. I started playing some bars and playing with, you know, in, in some bands that weren't doing much and then I formed a band yeah I, I formed a band with a guy that went to York he's now an Emmy award winning composer and he's one of my best friends still and we were playing we ended up playing with uh, George Oliver George, uh, you know uh, George Oliver and Gangbusters who's yep. George is still playing he used to be the lead singer for the Mandela one of the biggest bands in the 60s and then uh, he had a bunch of guys played through his band and I played with one of them, and his name was Oren Isaacs. And Oren uh, went on to produce music, and I we worked together. And then Oren got the gig as a uh, music producer for Canadian Idol. It's amazing. I don't think people realize how big of a job that actually is. Because I remember even myself when I was a young musician, obviously a lot more arrogant and ignorant. You know, you look at, you watch those shows, Canadian Idol and American Idol, and, and you see like the, the drummer out, for instance, for myself, would be playing a song. I'm like, I can play that, right? But then you re- as you get older and better at your instrument, you're like, oh my God, I can't play that, <laughs> yeah. right? Because yeah. the people behind the instruments there are monsters. Yeah. They, like, you have to be able to not only play your instrument well, you have to take direction well. You need to, like, that's probably the most important thing. You need to be able to play exactly what the band needs to play, right? Yeah. Well, the other thing that, that young musicians don't realize, of course you can play the part. Right. Just one song. It's easy. You know, to you learn. can you can learn it, but you know, can you invent it? Mm-hmm. Can you? And there's all kinds of subtleties. Any groove on the drums, for example. Now, drums are kind of like the almost in some ways, it's the easiest instrument because there's no keys. But in some ways, it's the hardest instrument because, like as Miles Davis said, he said, "I don't care how big the band is, the drummer is 50% of your sound. So you could have 50 people on stage, that one drummer is 50% because he's 
he's your feel, he's your loudest rhythmic instrument. Everything is in relation to what he plays. Mm -hmm. So that's why certain guys, even at the highest, highest level of drumming, for example, you would never take this drummer A and put him in category B to play that kind of music. That's mm -hmm. just not his just thing. Work. Very few drummers can cross-pollinate in different genres. That's what people don't realize. And uh, because of the subtleties at that level, those musicians mm -hmm. hear... <laughs> The subtleties they hear, they know, well, they say, yeah, he's a good drummer, but he's not right for this gig. Yeah, and as a drummer, too, it's one of the only instruments that if you're a non-musician, you can notice mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, you can you can hide uh, mistakes with, with guitar. I still think you can't really do it with bass. Uh, there's something yeah. off. It just feels off. Everyone blames it on the guitarist, but it's always the bass. Well, you <laughs> talk to any bass player. No bass player no, wants to play the wrong route. No, no, but... But uh, that's the one thing, right, with, with bands like that. It's not just being able to play it. You can't make one mistake, yeah, yeah. right? Because you're, you're talking about, first off, national, international broadcast, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's watching. It's live. Um, and these are people who are competing for an outrageous amount of money and fame, yeah. right? If you're in the band and you know, you're supposed to be doing a snare shot and you miss the snare, now everyone's thrown off. Not saying yeah. it's going to throw off pros, it wouldn't, but I mean, it throws off the feel and now, you know, the judges are going to, are going to notice that. And yeah. is it the singer or is it the band? And you can't make those mistakes. It's a live yeah. recording, really. It's well, I mean, that's the thing about it too, is, uh, for the first few years that I did it, I was the only musician on stage. So it was just the, the, the contestants played mm -hmm. to piano accompaniment. Yes. That's yeah. it. So. Right off the top, you know, Ben Mulroney would introduce me, and then, you know, the, the singers would come singing, and it was just me and a grand piano. So, and then often what you don't see is that there's a camera like four inches from my head, yeah. right? <laughs> or four inches from my hands, you know, at any given time so that the, the um, director can switch cues and everything. So I was counting like a mofo. Like I, we, all the songs are edited to sort of an unnatural thing because most of the time, say, in that first... Uh, the first few shows when the kids are singing for the first time, they only have like a minute 20. Yeah, because you get like half a verse. Yeah. You get a chorus, yeah. some weird bridge, and then the yeah. chorus again, and that's it's, it. It's, you know, the it's a truncated version of the tune, so it's not really sometimes where you like would close your eyes and expect to go. Yeah. So <laughs> I would write the charts, you know, because and, and you're on a time limit. Like the... the uh, producer calling the uh, the show he's got a stopwatch right and he's t he has he's in charge of okay we got this many commercials this segment has to be down to the second mm -hmm. so i have a metronome marking i have a chart and sometimes there's odd bars you know like we're in four four but we got a two four bar there we got a, a stop there we got a, a, a three four bar there and that's how those kids learn the, the song so you know I remember one time, it was a weird bar, and it, I don't remember who it was, it was Aaron Walpole, and he, either he sang two beats too long, or I cut the bar by two beats, and this is maybe my third or fourth year on the show, but it was like, uh -oh. it was a <laughs> second glitch, nobody in the audience noticed, but Aaron and I, after, we looked at each other, and then only one out of four judges noticed. Right? Really? But I'll tell you, I woke up about two nights later going, <gasps> I, hope he, I hope he doesn't get voted <laughs> off the show, right? Yeah, for and sure. Then, because this is like, this is a big deal, right? 
So anyway, uh, what my point is is that you're look, it it's a show. It's a you know, it's not necessarily a music show. Mm-hmm. It's a family show where kids can watch the show with their parents, their grandparents. Brings people together, and there's a lot of music involved in mm-hmm. the show. But you know, there's you, it's a different vibe. Like television is a whole different world than going out in the club scene. And, and just closing your eyes and playing. Well, there's a shit ton of pressure. Yeah. Like crazy, right? Like you yeah. said, four inches from your face having a camera right there. Yeah. Like I've I've had a decent amount of, of media in my life and, you know, working in that field for a while. And to this day, if you've put a, a pro camera, like a $100,000 red camera in my face, I'm still going to sweat a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, it's a lot of pressure. So not only do you have to like look normal, you have to play well yeah. and, and not just well, perfectly. It needs yeah. to be exactly what it needs to be. But uh, switching gears a little bit, yeah. still music, but switching gears a bit. This podcast, the point of it for me is to highlight to people like there are people locally who are making a living doing what they love. And obviously music is a love of yours and a passion of yeah. yours more than it is a job. Um, but what, what would you say is the biggest thing in your life that you had to make a decision about music that that made it a living because i think sometimes people want one specific thing with music they're like i want to be a rock star or i want to be a singer on a show or i want to do this was there a point in time when you had to maybe compromise and say well i love music and in order to do music i'm going to do x because that's what's in demand like if let's say country's huge right now you know Mm-hmm. going to be a country singer or, you know, playing bands like that. Did you have to make that decision or, or is it just enough to be a great player, know the right people? What do you think the combination is for a young musician wanting to do it? Well, you know, for me, I can only speak for me. Um, it was always my secret dream to be a singer songwriter, but I didn't have the balls or the confidence to, to uh, proclaim that. Mm-hmm. So, what I and I and that's why I went to to music school was I just said to myself, I'm just going to keep getting better, mm-hmm. right? Until I deserve to live my dream. Yes. Right. And I thought I'm going to study. Like I'm going to study what these are musicians that I really love. So I'm going to, you know, as a kid I thought, oh, of course Stevie Wonder studied jazz and stud like you know i thought everybody that was successful studied i didn't realize until much later and and actually on canadian idol that a lot of artists that's what they do they do one thing like you know if you would ask me at 12 years old if stevie wonder could play classical music i said of course he can he can, <laughs> yeah, he can probably arrange it he can, you know maybe he can but but more than likely he can't that's not his bag to, yeah. pl- to play uh, you know rachmaninoff right but i thought no, man, you got to be able to play everything. Like, that was my 12-year-old head. So yeah. early on, I said, no, I, you know, as a 12-year-old, I made up my mind that I was going to be a musician, even though my father said, you can't. Mm-hmm. You can't make a living as a musician. You know, you better be a teacher. Or you better, you know, that's what he, his advice was. So um, for me, it was always to practice and study and to learn more. So even as a, at a young age, I someone hired me to be in their band like a tour you know one of my first tours was frank mills the music box dancer guy that's like, cool you know i remember hearing his song like it was a number one song in canada and i said he wants me to play in his band fantastic you know mm. so i'm 25 or something i'm touring across canada with frank mills and it's not really my music it's it's but 
you know, I was I was writing music. I just wasn't showing anybody yet, you know, because I didn't think it was good. So yeah. it took for me. I I just kept getting better and playing with in more challenging situations until I got to a point where I thought, you know, I I gotta let my voice out. So you know, at some point, I guess I I think I was like forty or late thirties when I said, you know, I'm gonna do my own thing. You know, I love start, that. You know, like I just. I don't know if it was my upbringing or what, but I never, uh, I never thought I was uh, ready to be the guy, you know, like to, to, you know, until 10, 15 years ago. You know, so. I, I think that's really awesome because a lot of people, I, I heard it yesterday and I'm glad you brought it up. When people say, I can't do that because I'm too old. I'm like, what do you mean? You're yeah. 20. What You're is too age? Old. Age. You know, and, and even today, um, you know, I won't say who she'll know mm -hmm. when she listens to this. She said to me, like, I can't learn a language now. Like, Why not? If you're willing to put in the time and work, because that's what you yeah. said, right? You worked yeah. right? and you still do. You still practice, you still learn. Still I practice grow. more now than I ever have. Yes. And there's something to that. Right. And I it's not just me. My whole family is like this, especially the, uh, uh, the male spinosis. There's something about like telling people you're going to do it publicly and oh. it forces you to put the work in to make it happen. Right. right? Yeah. My brother opening up a, an addition to his gym. Uh, he's, he started in January and he's like, yeah, March 6th, we're going to be open. I'm like, March 6th, dude. Like, I'm like, I respect that, but yeah. there's no way. And you know, here we are not, not even in February yet. And the guy's almost done. Wow. Like it just, there's something about for me and our family anyway, it's, we're going to do it because we, we told people. Right. 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 And I was like that in music a lot because people would say same, similar thing. It's easy to say, no, you're not going to make it in music. Yeah. But you know, I was like, no, I'm going to spend a year and making money off of music and that's it. Right. Yeah. And I did, you Great. know, but the biggest thing was willing to work for it. Right. Like practicing and, um, I, a horrible bass player. Um, but there was one band that was looking for a bass player, um, but I thought, you know, I'd really like to be the drummer in that band. So I knew that if I were in the band, at least at some yeah, point, I, one could, step closer. I, I could be close. And sure enough, like two months after I joined the band, we haven't even played a show yet. We're just all rehearsals because this was a bigger production yeah. where, you know, you had to click tracks and all that kind of stuff. There was real merch and tours. Uh, we had, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We had to get our P2s, like work yeah. visas for the States and stuff like that. Um, and so by the time we were ready to play a show, they'd lost their drummer and they're like, we need to find one. Like, not a chance. You've got me. Yeah. And then, you know, whatever. But uh, you might even know Frank DeChico. He's a religion teacher at St. Mike's in the Falls, but he's a Maybe. great drummer. And so he came up to me this when I was in high school. And he's like, Lucas, you know, there's this, there's this guy in Niagara-on-the-Lake teaching drum lessons, uh, and he's only taking 20 students. He's got a couple spots left. I auditioned. I got in. You should, you should try out, right? And I kept saying to myself, I don't think I'm good enough to try out for this guy. And he's like, listen. You don't know until you do it. Like, just go. Worst, worst thing that's going to happen is you drove 30 minutes and he's going to say yeah. no to you. This guy ended up being Graham Lear, who's the drummer of Santana. He's a friend in, of mine. I yeah, know Graham. Graham's yeah. amazing. Yeah. He plays with Gino Vanelli and Paul Anka. Yeah. Uh, luckily for me, I got to... And he's a Leaf fan. You know, that's... that's <laughs> I won't speculate on that. We're going to lose half my audience. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was very lucky and fortunate that, you know, he liked my style. Um, I'm assuming a lot of it had to do with, you know, how we got, you know, our relationship, right? Yeah. He knew that I was young and willing to work for it and... Uh, and he saw, he's like, you got to play this one pattern until you get it perfect, right? And uh, he'd work with me a little bit. He had two drum sets in the room. And yeah. there's something about 
just working for it and yeah. being willing to put in that extra because a lot of people say they're willing to do it, but they're not, right? So being the, per the guy or girl who sits in a room and works for it, you're 10 times more likely to get that spot. Well, yeah, it's, you know, anything like that is, is a lonely existence. You have to spend a lot of time alone and not everybody is cut out for it, you know? So it's just like, you know, it's like anything. You got to, uh, you know, you've got to, if you say you're going to do it, if you're going to pull a Spinoza and say you're going to do <laughs> it, then you do it, right? Yeah. So it's like, like maybe, you know, the, the thing is, the goals have to be more realistic instead of saying, you know what? I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to make a living playing music. Maybe it's more like, you know what? I'm going to practice an hour, seven days a week for the next year. Then you don't need to make that other goal. Well, no, but the point is, in order for you to make a living playing music, you got to practice at least an hour every day, seven days a week, yeah. you know, because you're competing with guys who are already practicing four or five hours a day. Yeah. You know, Oscar Peterson, the story is his mother used to have to drag him off the piano to come for meals. Mm -hmm. Like he, you know, and a friend of mine uh, who's a guitar player, he told he's world renowned, incredible incredibly unique musician and he told me he used to light a 12-hour candle and open a bottle of wine and he would practice until the the candle was was done that's what happened hours. to the bottle of wine yeah that too <laughs> <laughs> so and 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 you listen to him play and you go yeah of course he did because yeah. he sounds like nobody else and people think know? it's unrealistic but i'm a big math guy and when you start really doing the numbers on how much time in a day is wasted like yeah. wasted. I'm even shocked myself because I'm a pretty productive guy and I schedule every minute of my day and I'll still get those weekly reports on my iPhone that'll say how much time I spent on my phone. Yeah. And it's like six hours. I'm like, how did I spend six hours on my cell phone in yeah. a week? Yeah. Right. So my goal recently has been cutting that down by 30 minutes a week. Right. Yeah. So now, you know, I'm at four and a half hours and that's still a lot of time. If you spent four and a half hours a week working on something, you'd be pretty good at it. Right? Absolutely. And that's just the four and a half hours. That's yeah. just from your phone. Imagine how much how much time you'd save from instead of sleeping 12 hours a day, you sleep eight. Yeah. Right now you've made up that four you hours. You sleep 12 hours a day. I don't. <laughs> no. No, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm a six hour guy. That's my yeah. magic number. I, I could sleep more, but I, I'm not a sleep in guy. I've never yeah. been that. No. I'm like the the perfect medium. I can't stay up past 12 and I can't wake up past seven. So yeah, I kind of get that window. That's good. Um, where would I want to go with this? I don't know, but we've only got a couple minutes left. So maybe, um, what would be good so we can make you some more money <laughs> because obviously a musician doesn't matter how good you are. You gotta, gotta keep the dollars rolling in. What, what's some projects you're excited about that are coming up that people oh. can check out? Okay. So I host a, a concert series at the performing arts center. It's called the Here Here Niagara Music Series with the Mark Lalama Trio, and we're in our fifth year, and and uh, we've sold out every show. It's it's fantastic. So what Amazing. happens is, um, myself, Davide Dorenzo on drums, Rich Moore on bass. We we're the band, and then we invite a special guest. You know, like uh, we've had Tom Wilson, we've had Guido Basso, Mark Jordan, Molly Johnson, uh, big players. Uh, yeah, yeah, like the. Great, great, you know, great musicians, Kevin Bright and uh, Ian Thomas, Susie Vinnick, you know, like Dalla and, you know, just really Kurt Swinghammer. So it's been it's been fantastic. So we sell out but and we're we're just uh, coming up to our fifth season. So 
if you you can go on my website marklalama.com and you can see the, the listings i have uh, concert listings there um i just started a new project with amanda walther from dala dala is a, a folk duo they're like a multi-award winning they've been around for 18 years they're ma fantastic duo and uh but a year ago amanda approached me to to play or produce her jazz record she had this bucket list jazz record and she was going to do all these billy holiday songs and stuff that she had grown up singing with her father and then i asked her if she had any originals and she said uh well she said i have one but it's not finished you know and anyway so we ended up working on it together and i loved it and then we just started writing songs so we've written about 27 songs amazing and yeah and we did our first show in toronto about two weeks ago and it was fantastic and uh we, when you saw me, I was starting day one of a three-day recording session with her, and we uh, just finished that yesterday, Wednesday, and we recorded 14 of the songs, so that'll, that'll be the first record. Awesome. Yeah. And that's what's crazy, too. Like, to record that many songs in three days with only two people, right? It was, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, fast. you know, it was a real, the inspiration kind of was uh, the, the famous Bill Evans, Tony Bennett record. They did, as far as I... I think they only did two records together exactly like that and uh it's one of my favorite records on the planet and awesome. what's amazing is you can download the record buy it on itunes and uh they did many takes of the same tune so you can listen to this six takes and i'm thinking wow even those guys did six or eight takes of a tune you know mm -hmm. and they're all fantastic but some are better than others yeah you know and bill evans man talk about i mean one of my biggest influences of all time. And I actually the last year or so I've been really getting back into Bill Evans and jazz harmony and, 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 and kind of in preparation for this record, you know, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, brother, thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, ah, my make pleasure. sure everybody out there buy music, yeah. not just music, buy Mark's music. Yeah. I take it to his show, check out the website, check out all the media. Go on my site, kind of send me an email if you, if you want. Uh, to know where I'm playing if it's not listed. I'm not the best guy at keeping my website up to date, but I try. <laughs> I'm going to go home right now and have a look at it and see where it's at. Yeah, so by the time this airs on Sunday, it's going to be the most pristine website yeah. I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, it's getting totally revamped. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for keep being here, brother. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Right, Thank we'll you. We'll see you guys next week. Hey, friend. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Above the Mug. For more episodes, check us out at AboveTheMug.com. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, review, comment, tag your friends. This way you're not the only person listening to this thing. We come up with a brand new podcast every Sunday at noon, so we'll see you next week on Above the Mug.